0: Well, we are blessed to be here tonight. I'm blessed to be with you guys here in the room and those of you guys joining us online, we hope you are having a wonderful resurrection week. You know, Easter doesn't stop on Sunday. It keeps going every day, every day, and we get to move forward and live and breathe and, and be in the power of the resurrection, and so... So excited to be able to get back into the Word with you guys. We're going to be getting back to our study of Second Peter. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 15 of 1 Peter chapter 1 tonight. And what we're going to be talking about is leaving a powerful spiritual legacy in life. You know, if you ask people questions about life and death issues... You'll probably get a whole slew of very different and interesting answers about life and death and moving towards that. You know, uh, some of the most interesting answers to things come from kids. And some of my favorite videos are, you know, when they ask kids, you know, adult questions about life and stuff, and they just get these really innocent and strange and unique answers. You know, and One little girl was asked about life and death and and, and sickness and health and all of that, and this is what she said. This was her perspective on it. Doctors help you so you won't die until you pay all of their bills. So pretty uh, pretty unique, you know? One little boy said, well, God doesn't tell you when you're gonna die because he wants it to be a big, big surprise. (laughs) And yeah, okay, it kind of is a big surprise for a lot of us, you know? When it comes to living and dying, you know, most of us like to learn about how to live well, and, and Scripture has so much to say about how to live well, right? How to, how to have a, a, a fruitful and blessed, victorious life for the Lord, but the idea of how to die well is equally as important. The early Puritans had a, had a saying or a, or a philosophy, and they basically said that the aim of every person should be to die well that that should actually be more important than living well. And what they meant by that was, was, was embracing the reality that one day we will all die, right? Embracing that reality, embracing that truth, but while embracing that truth, having your wits about you and remaining faithful to God. And the idea was that to live in such a way that when you do move on from this earth, this life, you've left, left a witness and an impact for God. One example of a man who lived and died very well for Jesus was a guy named Polycarp. If you're a history buff, he was one of the early disciples of John the Apostle. And he lived and died in a time when martyrdom of Christians was at an all-time high. He got arrested for his faith at the age of 86. And when he got arrested, it's recorded that he said, Well, may the will of the Lord be done. What a faithful way to be living, right? And so it was Romans that arrested him, and they took him, and they took him to prison, and they were trying to get him to recant his faith, to recant his faith. And they were just, you know, saying things like, how hard can it be? Just say the words, Caesar is Lord. It's so easy, right? And he wouldn't do it. He actually said, you know, for 86 years I have served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? Well, this only made his uh, captors more mad and the Roman executioner that was there with him said, you know what, we're gonna put you in a fire and that fire is gonna be hot. And Polycarp looked at that executioner and said, you threaten me with a fire that burns for one hour and you know nothing of the fire of the coming judgment and eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. How's that for your final words, (laughs) You know, this was a man who embraced the fact that he lived for the Lord, embraced the fact that death was coming, had his wits about him, and he was faithful to the very end. You know, there's a book in the Old Testament that some people read, and they go, wow, this dude was really depressed. And, yeah, he was. It's called the book of Ecclesiastes, all right? And it says this in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 2. There's a time to be born and a time to die. And that was a reflection on life at the end of his life about all of it, right? There's a time to be born. There's a time to die. And between those two points, there is this time frame that we call life, right? At funerals, you may have heard it preached before at a funeral that, you know, when you go to the uh, cemetery and you look at gravestones and headstones, you see, you know, the, the date of birth and you see the date of death. And in between that, there's a dash, Right, and that dash represents everything you ever did in your entire life. It is the sum representation of every decision you made, every person you helped, every mistake you made, all of it. Now we are people who in this life are confined to time, right, we live within the dimension of time, but we are also people who are bound for eternity, bound for forever, and so the big question that we all face is how will we live our lives here? How, we will, how will we spend our time here and make it count for eternity? That's the big question, so let's pray, and then we'll get into these verses and look at it. Father, we thank you for your word, God, and we thank you for the encouragement of your word, and Lord, we know that as Peter was writing this letter, he was, he was an aged man looking at the end of his life, Lord, and God, he had some very important things to say to those he was writing to, God, some very important truths and wisdom. And Lord, tonight in these verses we're looking at, God, we see some keys on how to live well and how to die well. Lord, how to leave a legacy in our life that that is powerful and lasting and effective and impactful for you, Lord, to the world that we live behind when we pass on from this life. And so, God, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us tonight and encourage us, um, Lord, to not just look to the end when we're close to it but to really focus on how to live well and how to die well, even when we're young, God. That we would prioritize things in our life and make decisions in our life that invest into our eternal, forever home. To not waste the time, the very little time in the big picture we are given here on this earth and this life. And so, God, we just ask you to bless us tonight, speak to us tonight, encourage us tonight. So, In your name we pray, amen. So, verses... 12 through 15, I'm gonna just read all four of them here and then we'll dig through it. Second Peter 1, 12 through 15. Peter says, therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you know them and are established in the truth you now have. I think it is right, as long as I am in this bodily tent to wake you up with a reminder, since I know that I will soon lay aside my tent as our Lord Jesus Christ has indeed made clear to me. I will also make every effort so that you are able to recall these things at any time after my departure. And so in these four verses, Peter, I believe, gives us some keys on how to live well and how to leave a lasting spiritual legacy when it's our time to go home. And the first key that I see here that I believe really pops out of these verses is to live with death in mind. And you might go, well, that sounds weird, right? That's a little morbid a little dark, especially if you're younger in this room, you know, you're in your 20s, your 30s, you're just kind of getting started in life. You know, I don't want to live with death in mind. That's, that's far away. I don't need to think about that right now. Well, Peter, by example, is doing just that in these verses. This whole section um, it, 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 it reads that Peter is aware that his death is imminent, okay? He is aware that his death is right in front of him. And we see that when he opens with therefore. He goes, therefore, I will always remind you about these things. That therefore is referring to verses 10 and 11 that we looked at in our last study of Second Peter. But I'll read them again for context here. In verse 10, he goes, therefore, <laughs> brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. Because if you do these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly provided to you. So as Peter is writing to his readers here, he's, he's writing about the prospect of going to heaven. right? That's been the subject he's dealing with. The, the idea that, look, live your life here in a way that you know, um, you know where you're going. You're preparing for that going because it's a promise that you're going. There is an eternal kingdom that is prepared for you. And so in verse 12, he goes, so then therefore I will always remind you about these things. The reality that one day we will enter heaven. We will pass from this life into the next. And comparatively, the next life is forever compared to the brief vapor that this life is. This is his motivation for what he says in the following verses, and like I said, it appears as if Peter was, was readily aware of how close to death he was. In verse 14, he goes, I know that I will soon lay aside my tent, as our Lord Jesus Christ has indeed made clear to me. Now that word tent there, um, he's referring to the physical body. Okay, we're going to talk more about that in a little bit. But he states here that, that Jesus had revealed to him that he didn't have much time left. It doesn't tell us how, whether he got a dream or a vision or a word of prophecy or something. But it was evidently made clear to him that his death was close. And so he's thinking about his death as he's writing this letter and still living his life. He's thinking about the death to come. He speaks of it twice. In verse 14, he says this phrase, I will soon lay aside my tent, a bit metaphorically. But then in verse 15, he speaks of his death more directly. He talks about my departure. Now, again, even in this, he is teaching us about the perspective we are to have as we live and die on this earth as Christians, because that word departure, it's an interesting word. It means exodus, He's referring to his death, and he says, he's, he, he refers to it as his exodus, and that word means going from one place to another. That Peter was fully aware, fully believed and embraced that I'm not just coming to the point of my death. I'm coming to the point where I'm leaving this earth, and I'm going to heaven. He was very aware of that, acutely aware of that. You know, if you remember when he was a young man, Jesus prophesied to him and told him how he was going to die, right? Told Peter that one day, you know, your arms are going to be stretched out, indicating that he's going to be crucified. And, and he said, but it's going to happen when you're an old man. And I think that was something that bolstered Peter's life, where, where he had death in mind knowing it was far down the road because Jesus told him. And so he lived his life very boldly and very confidently. But at this point in his life, it seems to be pretty close. And so we see through this passage that Peter is living his life and still living his life at the point of writing this letter with his own death in mind. Now, yes, as he's writing this letter, Peter is an old man. It's thought that he was in his 70s at the point of writing this letter, and some might go, well, of course he's living with death in mind because death is knocking on his door, (laughs) right? How can you not live with death in mind when it's right there staring you in the face, But like I said earlier, when you're in your 20s, when you're in your 30s, when you're in the younger stages of life, it can be easy to not think about your death, your departure. It can be easy to put those things off because you think you have so much time ahead of you. One pastor once observed in his own ministry, he said, you know, over the years of my ministry I've noticed something. He goes, people in their 20s are often asking these types of questions. Who am I? What makes me unique? Where is my life heading? What is my life going to be about? What what effect is my life going to have? And then he said when people hit their 30s, it's a bit different because by the time they hit their 30s, there's marriages, there's children. In our modern culture, there's people still trying to get homes and find a place to settle down and raise that family. And so the questions turn into, you know, how will I get done everything that I'm responsible for? How am I going to accomplish all of this? You know, sometimes they also say, what happened to the freedom I used to have? And then when they hit their 40s, he said, the types of questions I would hear from people in their 40s is, why are my peers doing better than I am? They they tend to start hitting this phase of life where they start looking around and they notice how they're doing compared to other people, and they start trying to take inventory, you know, and this is where, you know, people talk about you hit that midlife crisis, you know. How are my peers doing? And why, why am I not doing as good as them? Or, or why is my marriage not like it was when we first got married? Or, or these types of reflective self-report card seasons. And then he said when people get their fi- hit their 50s, they start asking questions like this. Do young people think I'm obsolete? Am I obsolete? Am I out of touch? They also ask questions like, why is my body increasingly unreliable? And then he said in their 60s, people start asking questions like this Why do all my peers look so much older than me? Everybody around me looks so old. Why does everybody seem to talk about death so much? Because he found that it was like often in the 60s when people started going, Oh, wait a second, I never thought about leaving. And so they start talking about it. And then he said he noticed when people get to their 70s, they start asking questions like, How many years do I have left? When will I die? You know, curious when that's going to come, you know? He also noticed that people in their 70s and the later years of life ask questions like Does anyone know who I once was? What effect did I have? What change did I make with my life? They start asking questions of significance, questions of impact, questions of effect. And it's natural to think that the older we get, the, the closer we get to death, the more we'll think about it. I mean, that's natural. But I don't think it's so wise to wait that long. I don't think it's so wise to wait that long. It's wiser to live with death in mind even when you're young. Not in a morbid sense, but in an eternal sense. Because when we live with death in mind, what that indicates is that we're recognizing and embracing that our time is short. That between our birth and between our death, it's just this little dash. And we don't have as much time as we think we're going to have. And so what impact will, will our lives have? You know, because the time is so short, what are we going to do with the time we have? What, 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 what effect is our life going to have here in the world? What effect is my life here going to have on eternity? And what legacy I'm going to leave behind when I leave this earth? You know, back to Solomon's writings in Ecclesiastes. He said some interesting things. He said in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 2. This is in the ISV translation. He said, it's better to attend a funeral than to attend a banquet, for everyone dies eventually, and the living will take this to heart. Think about that. You know, that's why at at memorial services and funerals and stuff, um, we always try and take the opportunity to preach the gospel, because because it's those moments where people are reflecting on, on, on their mortality. They're reflecting on the brevity of life, you know? Two verses later in Ecclesiastes 7.4, he says, a wise person thinks a lot. And this is in the NLT translation. A wise person thinks a lot about death, while a fool thinks only about having a good time. And then when we get to the end of Solomon's words in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1, again in the New Living Translation, he says, don't let the excitement of youth cause you to forget your creator. Honor him in your youth, before you grow old and say life is not pleasant anymore. <laughs> Did you catch the advice there that's weaved through those verses? You know, this idea of living with the end in mind, living with death in mind, it, it, it helps keep important things important. It helps us keep everything in a proper perspective. It helps us make decisions to prioritize what we do with our time and our resources in a way that that, that are gonna be Good. You know, it's not that we can't have any fun. It's not that we can't enjoy downtime or entertainment. That's not what I'm getting at. But we shouldn't let our present pleasure be our only focus in life. We should never let our present desire be our only focus in life. Because one day, God's going to call us home. And He's not going to say, How big was your bank account? He's not going to say, How nice was your house? How nice was your car? Those those questions aren't even going to come up. How much fun did you have? How many parties did you go to? None of that's going to matter. So living with the end in mind, living for God now while you can is the idea here. And living with the end in mind brings an important reality into focus. And I've mentioned this a couple times already. None of us know when death is going to come and take us. None of us know. When we're young, we could tend to think we're invincible. And we could tend to think in, in terms of decades of planning, right? Because, because, of course, you know, the people ahead of me have lived their whole life. <laughs> and we don't think death could come tomorrow, but the Bible is very clear. Death could come at any time. We don't plan for it. Nobody wakes up and, and, and puts their to-do list together, and you know, 8 a.m. breakfast, noon, lunch, 2 p.m. die. Nobody does that. Now, of course, there's some instances where people are able to kind of plan for their departure in that sense, but in a broad sense, nobody knows when death will come for us. And yet the Bible still says in Hebrews 9.27, and just as it is appointed for people to die once, and after this, judgment. That word appointed there literally means God has made an appointment for your death, your physical death here on earth. God has an appointment. God knows the day and the hour and the second. He knows exactly when you're going to go home to be with him. Problem is, is he doesn't tell us. And it would be so nice if he told us. Nathan, exactly in 25 years and three days and two hours and 53 seconds, you're going to die. Awesome. Thanks, Lord, for letting me know. Now I could prioritize my, my time. But he doesn't do that. I think he doesn't do that because most of us would have a tendency, even as believers, if we knew the day we were going to die, then we would wait until the day before to get right with God. We would say, oh, sweet, I could go about and live my life because as long as I pray, as long as I ask for forgiveness, God's going to forgive me. So the day before I die or the second before I die, I'm like, okay, God, forgive me, boop, heaven. Heaven. It's a tendency in us to, to, to want to pursue our own pleasures and not do what is God honoring. It's, just, it's a part of our fallen nature. And so I think he doesn't tell us for, for that and probably many other reasons. The idea of living with death in mind simply means live without wasting the time you have. Live knowing the end can come at any moment. Live with the knowledge that, you know, I don't know how much time I got left, and so I've got to make the best use of time now. So today is the day to be obedient. Today is the day to do the thing God's calling you to do. Today is the day to step out. Today is the day to, to live for Jesus. Today is the day, because I might not have tomorrow. I read one guy, he gave an analogy like this. He goes, you know, to put it in perspective, say, say you go to a lawyer, right? You're going to go see a lawyer and get a consultation, and this lawyer tells you, my time is, you know, 250 bucks an hour. And so you fork out that $250, and you, you get to his office, and you sit down in the chair, and the clock starts. Now, when the clock starts, are you going to just open up with some idle chit-chat and mundane things? Hey, bro, how you doing? How's your day? Hey, where were you raised? Where did you grow up? Are you going to do that knowing the clock's ticking and your time is costing $250 an hour? Nobody would do that. You could care less about any of that stuff. You're thinking about, I spent this much money on this hour. This hour has this value. I need to get the most out of this time I possibly can. And so you get right down to the important stuff. You're thinking about how much that hour is costing you, and so you want to use that hour wisely. It's a similar concept. When you start looking at life, when you start looking at this lifetime that God has given you and you think of what you're doing with, with each minute of each day and each month and each week, when you think about how you're spending that time, you know, if you think about it in terms of dollars, right? If you, if you had a dollar for every year you were going to live and you were going to live 80 years and you had 80 bucks, And you had to invest that to turn it into an eternity or to waste it all. And you said, you know, I'm going to go spend 10 bucks on frivolous, stupid things. Now I only have $70 left. Wow. Do I want to waste another 30 of that on some stupid, fruitless thing? Now I only have 40 left? Or are you going to say, I need to invest this? I need to do something positive with this so it grows, it has an effect, it's a good thing. The idea is that I have so many minutes of life to invest in my future eternal life to make sure that when I leave, I leave with no regrets, and when I leave, I leave something behind that's positive, good, impactful. And this is the idea of living with death in mind. When we live, knowing that our time here is limited, it's a limited resource. When we live that way, it can be really good for us because it'll help us spend the time we're given well. So I think that's the first key that we see here as Peter is writing. The second key, live like you're on a weekend camping trip. Yeah, I really said that. Let me explain. I don't mean live like you're on a weekend in Vegas, party it up, nothing matters. That's not what I mean. I mean, don't pour all your time, your effort, your resources into building for this life only because this life is temporary. That's what I mean by that. When you go on a weekend camping trip, Do you pack every single article of clothing you own? Some of you maybe, and you have a problem. But most people don't do that, okay? Especially if you know you're hiking in, right? You're going on a three hour hike to get to a campsite. You're not gonna bring your 52 inch plasma and a generator so you can play your PlayStation while you're out there. I'd wanna do that, but it wouldn't be wise, right? You take what you need because you know you're only gone for a few days. And so you take the bare essentials because it's a temporary trip. And so when Peter, he uses this word tent to refer to his body and by extension refer to his life. Look in verse 13. He goes, I think it is right as long as I am in this bodily tent to wake you up with a reminder. Since I know that I will soon lay aside my tent as our Lord Jesus Christ has indeed made clear to me. Now, for the time and the culture of he was writing, this tent metaphor was, was a picture that was very familiar to people because people were used to seeing tents all over the place as nomads and travelers would go from place to place. And, you know, there wasn't hotels and Motel 6 and all this stuff. You know, it was, it was people would pack up tents. They would travel, and then they would set up tents as they were traveling from place to place. So Peter's words here suggest to us that when someone dies, when someone moves on... It's like taking down a tent. The idea here is that life isn't the end all. Life isn't the final destination. So why invest all your time and all your effort and all your resources into something that is temporary? When you should be investing in that which is eternal, that which is forever. You know, Peter wasn't the only one who used this picture of our body being a tent. Paul spoke of death this way as well in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. He said, for we know that if our earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made with hands. And that word destroyed there literally means to be taken down, like you're breaking camp is the idea. And so when we think of a tent in our modern day and camping and that kind of stuff, we might think of something temporary, something flimsy, something that, that, that might be more functional than it is aesthetic, because they're meant to be a temporary dwelling, right? Tents aren't strong, tents don't last forever. Years and years ago, when I was running junior high ministry here at Hosanna, we went on a camping trip at this campground that's up in the mountains. It was like a three hour hike in, and like you hiked, like, it, was, it was like a trip to Mordor, right? It was, it was like the longest hike I've ever been on in my life. And you go through like all four seasons and seasons that don't even exist on earth, and you go up, and it's just, it was a terrible hike, right? But we took these kids with us, and we were all hiking in our tents and our gear and everything. And we had some kids from the neighborhood that weren't Christians, weren't believers, but they had started coming to our youth group as a part of our events. And so their parents were like, hey, yeah, they can go camping with you guys. So we went out on this trip, and, and, and we're trying to teach these kids, you know, how to set up tents and stuff, and, and they're like, you know, where's the bathroom? And it's hey, so behind the bushes, right, you know? There, there's, no, there's no shower other than, you know, sprinkle some water on your head, right? There's different comforts out here because this is temporary. We're only out here for a few days. Well, one of our kids was the type of kid when you said, don't touch the snakes, that meant touch the snakes, Right, so he's out on the river with a couple guys and he comes back and he goes, hey, I got bit by a snake. And we're like, what? And then of course, he, his buddy had the snake on a stick and it was a baby rattlesnake. Now if you know anything about baby rattlesnakes, that's the worst type of rattlesnake to get bit by because they can't control their venom. So when they bite you, they inject everything. And so we're like, oh no, what are we gonna do, right? And uh, long story short, um, the youth leader at the time, it was uh, Pastor Mac Harrington. He immediately hiked out from where we were at to go to a phone so he could call in help. And so we're sitting there and we're watching this kid's finger, you know, grow into a basketball and we're trying to say, hey, that's cool, you know, don't worry about that, don't freak out. And next thing you know, we hear boom, 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 as a helicopter is flying in. And it was one of those big, like, you know, two-bladed Chinook type of rescue helicopters. And oh man, it was cool, right? So, anyways, this helicopter comes above our campsite. And the kids were like, wow, that's so cool. But then it started to descend because the rescue guys were gonna rappel out of the helicopter and then you know, take our kid and, and bring him back up to the helicopter and fly him to a hospital. And so as this helicopter starts descending, the downdraft from this helicopter just starts getting insane, right? And, and, and things start flying out of our campsite. And, and, and this one neighborhood kid had never seen anything like that. And it's like, I, I felt bad, but it was the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. He was standing in the door of his tent and the whole tent was smashed to the ground because of the downdraft of the helicopter and he's holding onto it with dear life going, ah, just screaming, right, in terror. And the tent next to him just Poof, flies across the campground, right? It's just, the, the tents were destroyed, everything. Our whole campground was just annihilated. And I remember telling the kids after, I'm like, well, it's a good thing we didn't have expensive tents, right? <laughs> you know, because they got wrecked, all the poles got broken and it was just a picture, for me, it was just a picture of, of how quickly life is just wiped out. It's just wiped out, right? Just blown away. I remember the guy in the campsite next to us, he was holding a cup of noodles, trying to eat it, and then it goes, poof, flies out of his hand. Oh, man, it was comedy. Uh, kid was fine. He got him to the hospital, and everything was great, so. But anyways, point being, you know, in those times of my life when I was younger, I, I, I didn't mind tent camping, right? It was comfortable. Um, or at least, you know, it, was, it wasn't so bad because it was just a couple days. And then as I got older, tent camping was just terrible and, and incredibly uncomfortable because, you know, all your, all your niceties of your permanent home and your solid structure, you know, they're not there. And so it's just terrible to sleep on the ground and to sleep on rocks. And, and you know, but one thing tent camping would teach you and teach us is that, you know, you just take the bare necessities with you, like I said. You know, you, 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 when you're camping, you only invest in and take with you what is necessary because you're only there for a few days, and that's a good lesson for life. You know, we don't need as much as we think we need to live, but at the same time, when you're tent camping, or at least when I was tent camping, you know, I was so glad it was short because it was uncomfortable, and it wasn't ideal, and it wasn't the best, and I didn't have all the blessings and in the, in the, in the niceties of home, and I could not wait to get home back to my nice, warm, permanent bed. Well, that flimsy temporary nature, the proper perspective we should have is our body, and by extension, our life is that flimsy temporary tent, right? This is, this is what Peter is saying here by referring to his body as a tent. He's like, look, this thing is about to get folded up and put away. It's about to get broken down and put away. You know, when we think of our bodies like a tent, you know, it's, it's just, it can be just like a tent. Over time, the threads start to unravel. You know, the support poles get bent and broken. The colors get faded. And so this idea of spending resources to make a tent the most luxurious, most comfortable, most lavish living arrangements absolutely doesn't, it makes no sense, right? It makes no sense because it's like I'm only using this thing for a few days. But some of us work really hard trying to make our tent last forever, don't we? Billion-dollar beauty industries and creams and potions and lotions and stuff to, to, you know, prolong or keep the wrinkles away and, and make the skin look nice, and, you know, surgeries and lift this and tuck that. <laughs> just, just so much in our world to, to make the tent look new as long as possible. Oh, the color's fading. i got to dye the hair, you know, right? It's, i got to keep the tent looking new as if it's going to last forever. It's good to take care of the tent. I'm not going to say it's not good to take care of the tent, right? It's good to take care of your tent so it continues to be useful for the time of its use, right? It's a good idea to take care of yourself and be healthy and, and, and because, you know, there's, there's work God has you to do here and, and all that. But don't invest everything in your life to, to making your tent perfect and making your life comfortable because it's just going to go away. You don't invest into your tent the same way you invest into your permanent house. You know, James 4.14 says this, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, for you are like a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. In 1 Peter chapter 1, he opened his letter by calling us exiles, in other translations saying pilgrims, right? This whole idea was that like this world, this life, this isn't your home. This isn't your permanent residence. And so don't treat it like a permanent residence. Don't invest in it like a permanent residence. Heaven is your permanent residence. And he went through all that in first Peter. And second Peter, he's doing the old thing, the, doing all of that again. Keep the mindset, keep the focus on eternity, keep the focus on forever so that you spend your time wisely in that. His idea is like, look, one day you're going to die One day, this temporary residence, your body's gonna be just like a tent, folded up and put away with, and and, and you're gonna make a move to a new place, a permanent place, an eternal place. You're gonna get a new glorious body, you're gonna make your departure, you're gonna make your exodus, and so invest in your future. Don't spend all your resources investing on a temporary dwelling. I'm getting ready to to move from one place to another and and the place we're moving to the floors are old and dated and and, man new floors are expensive right it's like it's insane it's just a floor you know but the cost to to put a floor in and stuff and so we're like all right we're gonna we're gonna invest in the floor and you look at the cost of doing that and you go well gosh that's a lot of money but then you go no but but it's gonna be here for 25 years (laughs) so it's okay to make that type of investment it's a it's a permanent type of thing you know and so Invest in the place where you're going to be forever, and that's heaven. That's eternity. Jesus himself said, don't lay up treasures for yourself on earth where moth and rust can destroy, where thieves can break in and steal. Prioritize investing in what matters spiritually forever. Treat this life like, look, I'm I'm going to invest in this life like it's a weekend trip, but I'm going to invest in eternity like it's my forever home, because it really is. So live with the end in mind. Jesus closed this thing, he said, but instead lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. So live with the end in mind. Live this life like it's a temporary camping trip, right? Live like the tent is just temporarily put up and it's gonna go down soon. And the third key is live for the benefit of others. This is where dying well comes in. This is where the concept of leaving a positive legacy for the well-being of those you leave behind. As I mentioned earlier, Peter is in his 70s as he's writing this letter. He's getting older. His tent is unraveling, but it's clear as he's writing this letter where his intent, where his uh, his energy, his focus is. He's not focusing on himself. He's not focusing on oh, I'm I'm an old guy and my body aches and I have these problems and you know and woe is me. He's not focusing on any of that. He's focusing on others. Even even as he's writing this letter and looking at his death, he's still worried about other people and their blessing and their growth. And the sooner we start living this way, this, the sooner we start focusing on others in this life, as the Bible calls us to do that, the greater our investment in our future home will be and the greater the, the, the positive legacy will be that we leave for others. It's good to be reminded of it. And this is what Peter's doing, right? Verse 13, he said, I think it's right. As long as I'm in this bodily tent to wake you up with a reminder. He's reminding them. In verse 12, he said, look, I'm reminding you of stuff you already know, (laughs) right? I'm just telling you stuff you already know. But that word wake there in verse 13 means to wake you up from your lethargy or your drowsiness. The meat of what he's trying to um, wake them up to, the the, the warning he's given them, he gets to in chapter 2, and we'll deal with that when we get there. Um, dealing with false prophets and false teachers and the need to be able to spot a false teacher and how that affects how we live now. But his idea here is like, look, I'm I'm still trying to remind you of things and I'm still trying to encourage you with things because you are what I'm concerned about. You are who I care about. His focus is on others, and that's the legacy he's leaving behind. He's going, look, I want to make sure that you could live for Jesus. I want to make sure that your your life is full and that you are investing in your future as I've invested in my future. And, And he's so focused on their life, knowing his own end is near. And so he says, I will also make every effort that you are able to recall these things at any time after my departure. He wants them to maximize their investment into their forever eternal home and not waste their time, waste their limited resources on this temporary home. And there's more to this, and we'll get into it when we get into chapter 2 of what he's warning them on. But for for the point of this study is, is as Peter is nearing his end, he's still focused on others, and that's part of the legacy he's leaving behind, to care about others' needs to pour into other people's lives, to be concerned with other people. He's thinking about the well-being of others and how they could be better, better off when he departs. And like I said, Scripture teaches us that. Scripture teaches us that we should live for others, that we should think about others, that we should place others above ourselves as we live, and that's a big part of living and dying well. It's a big part of living well because when our lives are about others, we're investing into the kingdom, we're doing what God wants us to do. We're being obedient. And so we're investing into our eternal home. We're investing into the kingdom. But the part of dying well in that is that we leave that example for others to follow. And so do you, do you want to leave a powerful spiritual legacy in your life? Whenever that time would come where you would have no regrets? When you leave this life to say, look, I'm, I'm ready to go like Paul said. I'm ready to depart. I'm ready to go home. I'm not worried about, oh, no, I should have done this, I should have done that. Is, is that the kind of life you want? Well, then live with the end in mind, as Peter is saying here and teaching here. Live like this life is temporary and live for the benefit of others. Live so that others are, are, are made better by the life you lead. Live so that others are blessed by your service and your effort. And when you do that, you'll be investing into your own eternal future and you'll be leaving a legacy that will outlive you. I mean, if you think about it, you know, after 2,000 years, we're still being instructed. We're still being fed. We're still being nourished by First and Second Peter. He took the time to write these letters to people to say, hey, I care about you. I need you to know these things. I'm going to keep saying it over and over and over. I'm going to keep, you know, bringing back the, the, um, the word of God. I'm going to keep reminding you of the things I've been teaching you. You know, and 2,000 years later, we're still reading these things. Talk about a legacy that outlived his life. And so as you live, as you make your decisions each day, think about what are you leaving behind? If God called you home tomorrow, what are you leaving behind? If God called you home tonight, what are you leaving behind? And what are you doing today to invest in that? What are you doing today to invest in that? What are you investing in now that will be a blessing to others when you're gone? You know, at the very least, are you leaving an example of a life that was well lived for Jesus? At the very least. Yeah, there's a lot to be said about getting your practical affairs in order, right? Life insurance and (laughs) trusts and wills and all that type of stuff. And I know there's a lot of younger people here in our church that like in their 20s are already thinking about those things. And that's wise and that's smart and that's good. But the most important thing, I think, is are you living a faith that can be passed on to and modeled by those behind you? Because if the answer to that is yes, I think you lived a life well. And the time when the time comes for you to go home to be with the Lord, I think you will have died well. And I think you will have left a good legacy behind you. The only psalm we have from Moses is Psalm chapter 90 verse 12 and this is what he says. Teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. That's a powerful verse. It's one it would be wise to, to memorize and apply to your life. It is so important for us to number our days carefully, to recognize that our time is limited, to recognize that everything we do here affects eternity, but everything we do here also affects the legacy we leave behind. And so I think it's just key to take it, in, take it, uh, take it serious, to treat it with the importance it has, and to live that life that glorifies God here and now, because we're gonna be glorifying him ever in, uh, forever in heaven, and that's gonna be awesome. So let's pray. Father, may we, God, number our days that we would develop wisdom in our hearts. God, when we look at Peter's example, we look at his words, his life, we look at his mistakes. God, we see that he was a a man far from perfect. And how grateful we are, God, that your word records all of that. But, Lord, we're also thankful for his honest words. That he was a man knowing that he was facing death and wanting to encourage those who would one day be facing death themselves to do so well. All of us, Lord, are facing death in reality, God. Every single one of us face death regardless of our age because, God, we don't know when we're going to go home to be with you. Nobody is promised tomorrow, God. And so I pray, Father, that we would not ignore that fact, but instead think soberly concerning the time we have, to think soberly concerning our lives, knowing that they're very temporary, knowing, God, that we're moving from one place to another. And in that, we would think of other people as we go go on about our lives, Lord, living for you, and put into place, Lord, to leave something that will go beyond us in this life that we would leave behind an example and a faith that endures for generations to come until your return. God, we know that the only lasting legacy is one that points people to Christ. So let us do that in our lives, Lord, and let us always keep in mind that this world is not our home. That this world is not our final destination, God. We're just passing through. And so Lord, that we would live every day with, with death in mind, knowing it's coming. We would invest in eternity because that's our permanent home instead of investing in this temporary life. And that God, while we're here, will live for the benefit of others. To be an example to them, to teach, to share, to let people know who you are with how we live. God, we thank you so much. We love you. And we ask, God, that you would just bless our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.